This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and it's time for the New Hampshire News Recap. We get into this week's top headlines this time every week. Lawmakers officially gathered for the first time at the State House this week following the midterm election, and energy costs continue to rise as temperatures begin to drop. Joining me now to talk about those stories and more are the New Hampshire Bulletin's Amanda Goki and in-depth New Hampshire's Paula Tracy. Good morning. Welcome to you both. Good morning. Well, let's start with uh, the latest news from the State House. Amanda, I'm going to start with you. you. You were there Wednesday as lawmakers were gathering for Organization Day. What was the scene like? There was a lot of energy in the State House as newly elected lawmakers convened for the first time this session. Lawmakers seemed excited to be back in the State House. There were a couple of references to the last Organization Day, which happened during the height of the pandemic. And lawmakers then had to gather outside in 20-degree weather in a field at UNH. So... People were happy to be back in the chamber, which was really buzzing with activity. And it's pretty crowded in there. There are 400 representatives and 391 of them were in attendance. One lawmaker, Amanda Toll, who is a Democrat from Keene, attended with her one-week baby in tow, who appeared to take the day's commotion in stride. (laughs) A very different scene than it has been the last several years, definitely. Uh, The New Hampshire House is closely divided between Republicans and Democrats, with Republicans holding a a very slim majority. Uh, Representatives voted to elect a speaker for the next legislative session. So who did they choose? They chose uh, Sherman Packard, who's been uh, the House Speaker for the past two years. He replaced Dick Hinch, who died of COVID-19 about two years ago now, just after that Um, gathering that Amanda just spoke of um, in the freezing cold on the pitch at UNH. This Londonderry Republican was chosen over um, Democrat Matt Wilhelm of Manchester, who's the rising star for the uh, the Democrats. It was on a vote of 205 to 184. very well known, and that's a and and um, but but he's going to be pressed a little by Wilhelm, who has asked him for equal representative of each party on committees for the first time, and there's a sense that he might just con- consider to do that. Committee assignments have not yet come out um, for the 400 member House. That's probably expected by uh, the first of the year, and that's where most of the work gets done. Now, lawmakers also voted to select New Hampshire's next Secretary of State. Amanda, what happened there? Lawmakers voted to re-elect David Scanlon to continue serving as New Hampshire's top election official. He won with 237 votes, while his Democratic challenger, Melanie Levesque, got 175 votes. And if you're doing the math just quickly in your head, that adds up to 412 votes. That's because both the House and the Senate came together in a joint session to elect the secretary of state. Okay, so tell us more about Dave Scanlon. He served, I know, as deputy under Bill Gardner, uh, New Hampshire's you know, last secretary of state, very long-running uh, secretary of state. That's right. So Scanlon served as Gardner's deputy for 20 years. And before that, he was also a lawmaker. He worked in forestry and lived in Canaan, New Hampshire, for around 25 years. Although he is a Republican, he's not necessarily seen as a partisan actor in his capacity as secretary of the state. He has appointed one Republican deputy and one Democratic rep- deputy since he took over the office. And his proponents really see him as continuing Gardner's legacy. Gardner held that office for 46 years and in that time was an active defender of the first in the nation primary. And of course, we're talking much more about that nationally now. But the House was also tasked with, with, with uh, settling the, the, the tied House race for a seat representing Rochester. Uh, Paula, what did lawmakers just decide there? Sorry for the dog. <laughs> um, they decided to let the voters of Rochester's Ward 
court decide that in a runoff election yet to be scheduled. The House could have voted on the spot who was the winner. And um, Republican David Walker, who was challenging the Democrat incumbent, would have likely won if it had gone down on a partisan line. Uh, But they did not do that. Um, Initially, a Republican effort to try to block um, a special election failed in a roll call vote, which was 193 to 187. But Jason Osborne, who's the majority leader, um, again, he signaled he'd like um, a voice vote in support of a runoff, and um, he said it was, quote, the right thing to do. And sure enough, it passed almost unanimously. Now, obviously, your dog has something to say about that. Yes, she'd like to go outside. (laughs) (laughs) Not much of a fan of runoff elections. What's your pup's name? This is Maisie. She's a corgi. Okay. All right, Maisie. Hold on. Hold on. We'll we'll get you there. Hold on, Maisie. We'll get out. In other political news, the Executive Council this week voted to approve the renomination of Sean Jasper as the Commissioner of Agriculture, despite concerns raised by farmers at a public hearing last week. So, Paula, what what were those concerns, and and what did councillors have to say about their decision to continue with, with Jasper's leadership there? Well, that was very interesting. The council held a rare public hearing on a renomination um, from the governor because they had been hearing so much from the agriculture community, and we in depth were also hearing from people. They were saying that Jasper's personality was a problem, um, that he's vindictive in cases, that he didn't listen or support alternative views, and lacked the vision for the farming community's hopes to have um, 30% of the food we eat in New Hampshire um, um, grown here by 2030. Um, Almost half of the um, folks that did go to the public hearing, though, did support him. But um, he uh, tangled a little bit with uh, Joe Kenny, um, who is um, the um, executive counselor for District 1, which is most of the state's farming community. And Kenny wanted him to guarantee that he would provide service with a smile. Um, And uh, Jasper said he couldn't do that. He couldn't guarantee it um, if someone was yelling at him. In the end, Kenny decided to oppose the nomination, um, and uh, but but did agree with Jasper and said that he could use an as- assistant commissioner, and that he needs more help. And Janet Stevens abstained from the vote, saying she needed more information. And the lone Democrat, uh, Cindy Warmington, voted, quote, with reservations for Jasper, saying mm-hmm. she heard what people were saying and um, that she felt that um, he could probably move forward positively after this experience. Um, and both David Wheeler and Ted Gatzis said yes, so the vote was two to one with one abstention. Okay, some, some drama there. Uh, the council also agreeing to allow Lori Weaver to serve as Acting Commissioner of Health and Human Services. Uh, the current commissioner, Lori Chibonet, plans to step down at the end of the month. So who is Lori Weaver, and, and what does she face as, as she takes on this new role? Well, Lori Weaver has been the deputy commissioner for Chibonet, almost her behind-the-scenes wingman throughout the COVID pandemic. We really hadn't seen her in the public light very much at all. But she's been at the department for um, several decades, and um, she has Lori Chibonet's um, total support, along with most everyone who spoke at a public hearing um, for her nomination. Right now, she's in a holdover status through February 2024. That's what the um, council unanimously voted to do. But um, she is in line for the permanent position. And I was told by Councillor Wheeler that she is um, a top five finalist for that permanent role. 
So um, it will be interesting to see her um, and hear from her um, at the council meetings going forward. Mm-hmm. That's a huge department. It's the largest in the, in the state with the largest um, uh, payroll and um, the largest um, bankroll in terms of providing money out to uh, citizens. Indeed, very high profile. This is Morning Edition on NHPR. We're recapping this week's news. Paula Tracy is a reporter for In-Depth New Hampshire. Thank you for joining us this morning. You can find more of her work, by the way, at indepthnh.org. Thank you, Paula. Thank you. Get Maisie out. We're going. Bye-bye. If you've got any questions about what's going on in the state, you can email us at voices at nhpr.org. Amanda, I want to turn back to you. We're here with New Hampshire Bulletin reporter Amanda Goki. Amanda, you've been following the Democratic National Committee's demand that New Hampshire go second in the next presidential primary. New Hampshire political leaders pretty much across the aisle say they will not comply. So tell us more about that. Yeah. So the DNC basically told New Hampshire, you can go second, but only if you meet a couple of conditions. So those conditions are that New Hampshire would have to repeal its 1975 law requiring the secretary of state to schedule New Hampshire's primary at least a week before any similar contest held elsewhere in the country. And their second condition is that New Hampshire change its law and actually its constitution to allow for early voting. The DNC said Republican leaders, including Governor Chris Sununu, House Majority Leader Jason Osborne, and now Senate President Jeb Bradley would have to actually sign a letter saying they are on board to make these changes and return it to the DNC by January 5th in order for New Hampshire to secure that second place in the process. And those Republican leaders basically said no way. They said New Hampshire will go first, and they said the DNC has no business telling the state what it can and can't do. Hmm. So what what additional steps could the DNC take if New Hampshire just doesn't comply? What happens next? So there are a couple things that the DNC can do to punish New Hampshire for not complying. It wouldn't recognize New Hampshire's primary for starters, which means the state would be holding an outlaw primary in the eyes of the DNC. And the DNC would not allow potentially New Hampshire to send delegates to its national conventions, which means our votes would essentially be purely symbolic and wouldn't shape the outcome of the convention. That's not considered a major deterrence since New Hampshire doesn't get that many delegates in the first place. So it doesn't have a ton of sway. Um, And the DNC could do other things like barring candidates who file in New Hampshire from its debate stage. It's going to get very interesting, I think, in the next cycle. Yeah. Amanda, you also reported this week that energy costs could continue to climb, making it hard to know just how expensive electricity is going to become this winter. So what's driving this unpredictability in, in energy costs right now? That unpredictability is a result of the region's dependence on fossil fuels, and one in particular, which is liquid natural gas, often called LNG. That's delivered by boat to the region's largest electricity generator, which is Mystic Station in Massachusetts. And the problem is that the region is competing with the rest of the world for LNG, which is really a hot commodity right now, given the energy crisis in Europe. And that's obviously worsened um, by Russia's invasion of Ukraine, among other sort of global market factors. So a tanker, for example, could be heading to Mystic Station and just turn around in the middle of the ocean, heading to a higher bidder in Europe, mm. even if they already have a signed contract in North America. So how, I mean, how will weather this winter play a role in, in determining energy costs? I mean, I imagine the colder it is, the, the harder this gets. That's right. So weather determines how often Mystic Station has to run. The colder it is, the more it has to run. And the more it runs, the more expensive electricity will be because the region will have to buy more of that LNG to keep it going. And the warmer, more moderate of a a winter we have, the less expensive it, it will be. 
Amanda Gokey is a reporter for the New Hampshire Bulletin. Thanks so much, Amanda. Thanks for having me, Rick. So glad you came in today. You find more of her work at NewHampshireBulletin.com, by the way, and all the stories that we talked about this morning at NHPR.org. Now, while you're there, we suggest you also check out the New Hampshire News Quiz. It is quick, it's fun, and informative. It's a great way to test your knowledge of the week's news. You can sign up to get the quiz emailed to you, by the way, or you can check it out every Thursday evening at NHPR.org slash quiz. And, of course, we're here next Friday, as always, with more top headlines. I'm Rick Ganley. This is Morning Edition from NHPR.